Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. And this is Two Sober Chicks. We are so excited to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Yes. And we're excited to kiss, hear kiss, from you. Kiss, kiss, hug, hug. Have you ever seen um, Nacho Libre? Oh my God, it's one of my favorite movies ever. Nacho Libre. Jack Black yeah. plays a um, luchador, which is like a Mexican wrestler where they have like the masks on. Okay. My life, and he writes this love letter to a nun because he's a priest at like a little, like a I don't know what they at an orphanage. Okay, and he's in love with this nun, and so he writes her a love note. And at the end, he does a whole bunch of X's and O's, and he refers to like the big X's as big kisses, and the little ones. So he'll he, so and you hear him read it in the movie, and he's like big kiss, little kiss, little hug, little hug, big hug. It's like the cutest thing ever. <laughs> so to all you Nacho fans out there, big hug, big kiss, little hug, little kiss. Thank you. I'm gonna have to watch that movie now. Is it a cartoon? No, it's a movie. It's a movie. It's yeah. so good. I believe it's from the same producers and writers as uh, Napoleon Dynamite, which is also one of my That's favorite a movies. Very good movie. Yes. It's very wholesome and cute and funny and sweet. All right. Well, this time, Julie, it's your turn. Topic jar. Oops. Nope. You have to take that one out. It fell out. Oh, all right. It's the universe. That's, we're going to do this That's one? That's the one we're going to do. Okay. Lisa was shaking it for me to pull one out, and one fell out. So we're not tempting fate. I'm a little bit of a superstitious Christian. Identifying versus comparing. Have we done this one before too? We got to go through this comparing. damn jar before we before we. Pull. I don't. I don't know. Identifying I'm feeling more on, towards the side of no. We haven't. Okay, so what's, com- if what's we... comparing mean to you? When a newcomer comes in and starts to. For me, I guess, yeah, that's what it is. When a newcomer comes in and they start comparing themselves to other people. Comparing is the death of any progress in life, I feel like. So comparing is when I'm measuring someone else against me Mm. versus identifying, which is like finding common ground. Right. So a typical one for newcomers and me was, well, I wasn't that bad. Right. (laughs) Yes. That's a good saying what you said about comparing is the death of what? Progress? Any kind of progress in life. Yeah. For me, like with um, exercise or weight or health issues, if I'm comparing myself to other people, I could feel defeated. But if I set goals for myself and then compare myself to my own progress, that's different. Um, But yeah, identifying uh, is so important uh, as an alcoholic. And it it does fuck people up a lot. Like, well, why do I have to say I'm an alcoholic? Why do I have to keep saying I'm an alcoholic? I haven't had a drink for five years. So why why am I saying I'm an alcoholic? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's important to remember where you came from. It's important to remember that you don't get over this. You'll graduate out. Yeah, you Mm -hmm. can't suddenly, oh, I haven't had a drink for five years. Now I can drink. If you start to think that way, then you're probably going to end back. You know, you're going to relapse, drink again, and then end up back here and start all over again. Um, That's been my experience. And then comparing, like you said, is usually trying also to, I find people compare more about how am I different? Mm-hmm. Oh, that person's really bad. So I can't, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. I wasn't as bad as that person. So. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this earlier or actually off the air um, when you said, why do I have to keep saying I'm an alcoholic? Well, for me, I only started making progress once I was like, this is what I am. This is what I'll always be. Now, what do I do with it? Yeah. Um, I was just in a sex therapy seminar today at my school um, from a Christian perspective or through the eyes of faith, I think it was called. 
and the woman was talking about sexual compulsion and she chose to use compulsion instead of addiction because then it labels the person Mm. and so immediately in my mind I'm like for me that's a danger zone like I have an alcohol compulsion is very different than I'm an alcoholic and I choose to say alcoholic because a compulsion just it does not explain the depth weight and gravity of what an alcoholic is maybe the difference is is that someone with a sex compulsion once they go through therapy and then they have sex again they're not going to immediately go back to being to having that compulsion again maybe i mean i have some training from a um, clinical perspective in Um, a volunteer capacity with sex addiction and sex addicts and I don't know if it's the same thing as like a substance abuse I know um, where it's similar but I don't know if it's a very different thing identifying as a sex addict versus an alcoholic Mm -hmm. I have no idea I was compelled to drink I had a compulsion to drink as soon as I put that first drink in my body yeah (laughs) and I will still have that if I put that first drink in my body, I will have a compulsion to drink. Yeah. But I think we've had this discussion before. From my eyes, I would rather have a substance abuse addiction because I don't ever have to drink or do drugs. Whereas something like an eating disorder or a sexual addiction, like this is supposed to be a healthy functioning part of your life life. that you can't avoid. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine if someone's like, here, take a sip of vodka three times a day. Like I would be dead Mm -hmm. because I can avoid it altogether. So um, I am grateful that I only have one... um, quote-unquote addiction and what I what I mean by that is I have compulsions I have a compulsion to watch Netflix and not shower for three days straight (laughs) (laughs) have you met my wife (laughs) (laughs) you guys both suffer Um, from anxiety and do those things I'm attracted to a man and I start to date him I it's very much like an addiction I get high and I have this compulsion and I want to see him and I want to talk to him and I'm like living for like when Mm. he reaches out I mean so I think we all have compulsions, but I think addiction is a whole different beast. Mm. It might be parsing words, but that's only my perspective. That's right. As this entire show is, just our perspective. Just our thoughts. Our thoughts feelings, and our ideas opinions. on recovery and things that have helped us. And hopefully, maybe they help you too. Maybe. We have time. Do you want to do another? Yes. Now you get to reach in. Dig deep. Dig deep, sister. Mix it around. A wordy one. <laughs> Geographical cures. I don't think we've talked about this before. Very often, a change of self is needed more than a change of scene. Mm. Some guy. Oh, wherever you go, there you are. That was. Uh, I know this. I have this book. He's got three names. I can't remember them right now. But yep, geographical cure. Lots of people do that. Yeah. But if I just. And I mean, it, it applies to everything. If I just move to this place, if I just get a new relationship, mm-hmm. if I change my job, the outside will somehow magically change the inside, yeah. which is the opposite direction. Start a new relationship, you know, trade a boy, an old boyfriend in for a new boyfriend or move to a different city and reinvent yourself. But if you don't actually do self-work, you're not really reinventing yourself. You're just changing the package. Yeah. But all the stuff that's inside is still eventually going to seep out and then you're going to have a whole new city where everybody will know exactly who you are and what you're like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and running, running from your problems, um, thinking that things will be better someplace else. 
Um, it's a fantasy. It's all fantasy land. Yeah. Because nothing ever can change a soul sickness, which is to me what addiction is. It's, it's an inside out job. It just always is. Mm. It doesn't mean don't ever move or don't take a chance or don't go for a job that's in a different country or a different city. Um, it just means make sure that you're ready for that and make sure you're not doing it to get away from something here. Yes. So if things are hunky-dory, ticky-boo, right here where you are, everything's great, and you just want a change uh, of pace or um, a challenge, you want to try something new and an opportunity has presented itself and you get a promotion or a new job, great. Go do that. It's about, you know, again, checking that motive. Am I running from something? Uh, am I unhappy here? Do I think that I'll be happier over there? There's a million sayings about this very subject, right? Yeah. The grass is always greener on the other side until it isn't. And you get there and you don't water your lawn and guess what? It's brown as shit. Yeah. You're, <laughs> guess what? Your neighbor's been watering and tending that long for 25 years. What have you been doing? That's good. <laughs> That's why it's greener over there. Yeah. Damn, we're banging them off. Let's do one okay. more. Okay. This is like a party. Five prerequisites to getting sober. That's a long one. Okay. No, well, we'll leave. It doesn't have to be long. We can do a short version of it. Five prerequisites to getting sober. Found in chapter five, how it works, page 58 and 59. They are as follows. Rigorous honesty, willing to go to any lengths, fearless and thorough from the very start. Let's go absolutely, mm. which is surrender. Half measures avail us nothing. You're either in or out and abandon ourselves to a power greater. Well, it's a lot. So this is from my sponsor um, who taught me this. And what he did was um, he sent me home to read those pages by myself, page 58 and 59. And he said, I want you to read, read, this, read these pages and then tell me what you think are the prerequisites to um, being able to do step one, two, and three. Hmm. What do you think, you know, circle some words in there. So those are the words that uh, I circled. Um, not just honesty, but rigorous honesty. And then there was a willingness. So willingness was another one. Um, being fearless and thorough. All those things. Letting go, absolutely. Um, because basically, we, we um, my wife and I just uh, saw a friend the other day. And we were talking about uh, that great talk that we heard the other night where the guy talked about... Um, it took him a while and he relapsed a couple times because he would admit that he was powerless when he was in pain, but then things started to change. He'd get sober. He'd go to a few meetings. Things started to look up and suddenly he wasn't feeling powerless anymore. And he started to question that and he didn't believe that. Mm -hmm. And when his recovery took off and changed for him, it was when he finally accepted and, and admitted or abandoned himself to a power greater. I am powerless all the time in all things. It doesn't mean you're weak. It just means that you don't have control over mm -hmm. a lot of things like other people or situations in life and things. It doesn't mean that you can't pick out what color you're going to wear, what shirt you're going to wear. You don't know. Uh, you have to ask God, oh, should I eat today or should I not eat today? Um, <laughs> should I have fish today? Like it's stupid shit like that. Hold on. I'm going to ask the Lord my chef for dessert. <laughs> It's like, okay, let's take it easy. Mm -hmm. I asked those questions, though, when I first came in. Because to me, Aww. it was like, are we supposed to, what, am I supposed to ask God for every little fucking thing I want to do? I can't even make a fucking decision on my own? Am I that powerless? No, that's not what it's about. But anyway, so that really helped me, identifying those things. And uh, and then, of course, the 
multitudes of work that came after that, you know, about reminding myself that I have to be honest, um, with my sponsor. If I don't share those things with him, then he can't help me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't need to lie to him. I don't need to leave things out doing that fifth step, you know, and the very first time I sat down with him to do that fifth step. And he said, and I put, I had my book and all my things I'd written out and I was really shaky and nervous. And he's like, okay. And he closes my book in front of me. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? We haven't even started. He's like, I want you to tell me what you left off the list. Let's start with that. And I started to cry Mm. because I'd left something off the list. I was like, how did you know that? And he's Mm. like, cause I'm you. I'm you. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I'm you. Yeah. We're different, right? We, when as newcomers, we think that we are unique. We think that no one will understand us. No one has done the things that we've done. Um, uh, or on the flip side, uh, we don't think we're as bad as everyone else. Maybe we don't belong here. We are terminally unique in that it could kill us if we keep thinking how unique we are. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think that you are no longer alone is such an important slogan. It's not just about, you know, some people come in and, and they don't make a lot of friends. But it's not necessarily about making friends. You are no longer alone because you are in the company of other people, alcoholics like you who understand you and get you. Um, For me, um, that slogan changed immensely in the last year where it makes me think of God. I am no longer Mm -hmm. alone because I have a belief in a higher power because I have a belief in something greater. So even when I'm physically alone by myself, um, I'm not alone. Because I always have my higher power to turn to. In those moments when I can't reach anybody by phone, can't reach my sisters, I can't reach my sponsor, then I have prayer and I have meditation and I can turn inwards and talk to God. My my, um, therapist and I had this conversation yesterday because I've been dealing with the dregs of grief from my divorce. Mm -hmm. And she turned to me and she said, so how do you deal with being alone all the time? Like how are you dealing with being single and having this stuff come up? And I started crying and I said, because I don't feel alone because of my relationship with God. I may get lonely and I may crave a companion, but my relationship with God is so big and so all consuming and so safe and so supportive and so protective that without that, I would definitely be engaging in very unhealthy um, relationship behaviors and seeking and accepting less than I'm worth and going after bad dudes. Um, but the fellowship has also stepped in to fill that gap, both in the ways that when I am in a relationship, my partner will no longer have to be everything to me because Mm. the rooms of recovery in my tribe is going to be things to me that no one else can be. Yep. But, um, it's not all on their shoulders. Um, but I'm like, I get physical touch, I get hugs, I get people looking in my face, I get to hear stories, I get to be asked to go out places. So it's really left the best possible me version for whoever's going to come along. Mm-hmm. So without my relationship with a higher power in the fellowship, I probably would be like tindering all over the place. Although there's nothing wrong with that. It's not good for me. Online dating is something I decided yeah. not to do. I stopped doing long ago. Yeah. But I'm able to just be a, the best single version of myself and not be like needy or desperate or depressed or hopeless anymore. Mm. That's how I found online dating made me feel needy and depressed. Oh, it's horrible. And it's desperate. a horrible time consumer. It is. It's obsessive. People want you to write all this stuff. And, I, and I'd be like, can we just get together for coffee? Well, I want to get to know you first. Uh... How about we do that in person? 
Yeah, because yeah. black and white characters on a screen. I don't think so. I didn't have time. I didn't have time to, you know, do that. But that's what people wanted. They wanted these novellas about themselves or about yourself to them. And yeah, to see if you'd get chosen and picked. And it was not not my scene. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it very. That um, some bad dates. <laughs> uh, bad experiences, period. Yes. It's not that I don't ever consider it. Sometimes, mm. you know, when it's been a year or two, you're like, maybe I should. But you know what? I have enough single girlfriends that are doing that shit right now. And it is such a good reminder of what I don't want to be involved in anymore. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I have enough single girlfriends like you and Ashley, who I know will take care of me <laughs> if ever I need any help. That's... That spot for housewives always open <laughs> always here. Always open. That's right. Just for you, though. Slide right in. <laughs> Oh, well, I think, wow. How delightful this afternoon has been. We did three topics, I think, in that last podcast. That was fun. Yeah. A speed, like speed dating. We did speed podcast topics. Yeah, we did a threesome. A threesome in one. All right. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure to have you guys with us. Um, Make sure you email us. We do want to fill up that topic jar with not just our own thoughts and queries, uh, but we like getting them from you as well. So you never know when you might hear something that you've brought up in an email become Mm -hmm. one of our topics of discussion. And if you want a shout out, let us know that you're okay to have your name put out there. We only use first names and maybe locations. And if you don't, just clearly say, please do not mention my name. And we won't. We will honor that because we honor and respect you. And we love you. Thanks a lot for tuning in.